Hello and welcome to another edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. I'm Chris Sork alongside Dilu, and uh, we turn our attention to the first uh, game preview and uh, official kickoff of the football season. The offseason is over here, but the official uh, first episode of football season here is it's game week uh, of the short side option where we will uh, turn our attention now to previewing uh, last but certainly not least the K-State Wildcats, uh, giving our Big 12 predictions, and then giving just a quick look ahead at what to expect on Saturday against Nichols State. So I want to bring in DLU here. DLU, great to see you as always. Icon, it's, it's always a pleasure to sit down with you and talk uh, Wildcat sports, and today's no exception. Um, it's uh, it's game week, baby. It's game week. That's right. And, uh, you know, I've been saying that since really since Saturday, over and over again. It's game week, baby. And uh, now we get a chance to talk about all of these uh, exciting issues and and elements and things to look at uh, regarding the K State uh, 2019 football season and even around the Big Twelve. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we had a lot of fun, uh, or at least I did. I shouldn't speak for you, but I, I think I think you enjoyed it as well. I had fun. Good. <laughs> Good. Yeah. I'm, glad, I'm glad you did. <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah. So so what? You <laughs> so know, get off my back. Uh, but you know, we uh, we I enjoyed learning a little bit, hearing from people that know uh, their teams better than, of course, we do. Uh, again, their perspective on, of course. Uh, I think we only had one, uh, our, our friend uh, Seth Youngman at Texas Tech that goes under on his season win total prediction. It was just by half a game. So I think, uh, I think it's fair to say that uh, everyone with the start of a new season is feeling optimistic about their chances here in 2019. Yeah, I think that's natural, uh, especially, uh, you know, people, people always – everybody's undefeated right now. Yeah, absolutely. With the exception of, uh, well, well the exception uh, Miami. Of Miami and, and Arizona. And Arizona. Our thoughts to our friends out in the desert in Tucson, um, but no, I think it's natural to in August be thinking sure. that those guys that everybody's kind of short shorting your team and that they're going to be prove the experts wrong. Sure. Well, uh, well, like I said, we went through uh, all nine of the Big Twelve teams, uh, saving uh, our favorite for last, uh, which is of course the K State Wildcats and. Well, obviously, with uh, with K State uh, here in 2019 under some new leadership uh, with Chris Kleiman at head coach, uh, you know changes of course up and down the offensive staff, uh, defensive staff as well. Uh, but let's first start uh, Delu on the offensive side here of things here in 2019. Skylar Thompson's back. Uh, started some games as a redshirt freshman. His fourth year in the program now as a redshirt junior. Uh, I would have to think that if K-State's going to have a good year this year, he's going to probably be the biggest catalyst for that. Do you agree? Yeah, I think that he's really the only – man, when you look at up and down this offense, there's not a lot here other than Skylar Thompson that you see that you're willing to put much faith in. And even putting faith in Skylar Thompson at this point is it's quite a bit of faith because yeah. over these last two years he – I mean, you can point the blame wherever you want, but it hasn't been a seamless ride for him, and I think that's putting it pretty lightly. Um, obviously, uh, the issues that plagued the offense in the last two years, um, most notably the two-year saga that was the quarterback controversy in Manhattan between uh, Skyler and Alex Delton, 
uh, won't be the case this year. I think it's clear that this is Skylar Thompson's team, um, no doubt about it. Um, and so seeing how he performs when he is given the reins and, uh, you know, allowed to make mistakes, uh, we'll see whether or not that improves uh, his game. And I, truthfully, I, I just have more faith in an upperclassman quarterback than I sure. do an underclassman quarterback. Sure. And I think that, <clears throat> you know, even just getting another year older, another year, you know, just in the system, even though it's not the same system, but just another year older, stronger, um, more mature, uh, another chance to hone your decision-making. I, I would expect to see him improve, and I agree with you that I think he will be um, do a lot of the heavy lifting for this offense. But I think it's interesting because the way I anticipate this offense to look this year, I I see it as less, less option-heavy. I think that that's fair to say that he's not going to be as involved in the running game as the offenses were under uh, under Dana Dimmel and Andre Coleman. I anticipate him um, shouldering much less of the rushing load. And I think that that could benefit him too, just in terms of um, asking him to make fewer decisions, especially with the option uh, read game. Uh, because that has never really been his strong suit anyway. Yeah, you know, and I, I think it's fair to say that he's a pass-first quarterback for sure. But I do think that he has shown some some flashes of being a pretty capable runner. Now, do we want him to run the ball 15, 20 times a game? No. I don't think really no. any quarterback should have to be necessarily asked to do that unless you're playing at Army, Navy, Air Force, where you're running the triple option. Uh, but that being said... I think, you know, with him maybe run the ball, you know, five, seven, ten times a game uh, when the situation calls for it, and then scrambling, you know, outside the pocket and, and picking up some, you know, five, seven yards with his feet when, when there's nothing really available. Those are that, – that seems to be the kind of profile that fits his game a lot, a lot better than, than running the read option and, and running quarterback power and things like that. Oh, I agree with you. I, I think allowing him to be creative in the pocket um, – would do him a lot of good, but I, I just don't want to see him run as much as he did last year, just because I don't sure. think, at least not designed runs. Um, and another thing I want to see out of him this year is his pocket presence. I mean, we, yeah. we talked about this a little bit. K-State's quarterback sack rate last year was, dude, it was bad. How bad? I mean, like bad? I'm talking like, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it near the bottom of the Big 12 and near the bottom of the country. And uh, so if we can just work him to uh, be more comfortable in the pocket, be able to feel pressure, uh, I think that would be a, a big step. Um, and staying with the uh, passing game here, uh, you look yeah, that's like, what I, I wanted to get I want to get your thoughts on the receivers because I think if there's a if there's the weakest position on this Wildcats team in terms of what is unknown, and also what maybe just lacks in quality, you'd have to point to the wide receivers. Uh, losing Isaiah Zuber, who was our, our top wide receiver last year to uh, week three opponent, Mississippi State, uh, which is a, be an interesting subplot here as Zuber goes to Mississippi State. Alex Delton just named the starting quarterback at TCU. I have a chance to see both of those guys coming up uh, here in the early part of the season. 
But, yeah, talk to me a little bit about what you think about the, the wide receiver. Of course, the wide receiver position may not be as heavily relied upon uh, for K-State as some other teams in the Big 12, uh, with more of an emphasis on the ground uh, here with uh, the new offense that Courtney Messingham wants to kind of install. But just curious what your thoughts are, of course, too, with, uh, with the wide receiver, as I mentioned, Zuber being gone and also Hunter Risen being dismissed uh, this summer. Well, last year we were feeling pretty good about this wide receiver squad because we thought, okay, well, we have Zuber back there and uh, we got Jordy uh, shown. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I'm so, throughout the course of last season, I'm starting to second guess whether or not he's the, the second coming. Yeah, because he hasn't exactly, he, didn't, he hasn't knocked my socks off. Uh, Dalton Schoen hasn't, and when he's the only returning guy, uh, with the exception of Malik Knowles, who saw limited action last year, um, you start to look at, at the guys we have on our depth chart, and you start wondering, you know, really a lot of who these guys are. I mean, right now, we in the depth chart that just got released, uh, we have Dalton Schoen and Joaquin Gill is the uh, one and two wide receivers. And obviously shown he's capable enough. I mean, he's not going to blow you away with his speed, but he's got some good size. Um, hands are okay. Uh, but, you know, we, we've had enough film on him to kind of know what he is and what he provides. Mm-hmm. Um, but these other guys, I mean, Wyking Gill... And then behind him is Philip Brooks, and behind him is Landry Weber. And you look up and down those names, and have any of these guys... I can't recall ever seeing these guys have any significant time. Yeah, really, I'm looking here um, at the last year's statistical leaders at the wide receiver position. You have Dalton Schoen, 520 yards, two touchdowns. Malik Knowles, 100 yards on 10 catches. And two touchdowns. Most of those are probably during that Oklahoma State game. Uh, Yking Gill with 54 yards receiving on seven receptions and no touchdowns. And that is it. That returns in terms of returning wide receivers. Yeah, so, I mean, a lot of question marks um, on uh, this wide receiver unit. And you hope that it's just – Inexperience and that it's not necessarily a detriment because maybe these guys are pretty good, uh, but certainly not something I'd put a ton of stock in, a lot of faith in at this point. Um, and so, for Thompson to succeed, he's going to need at least adequate uh, wide receivers. And I hope that this wide receiving core can be adequate, but who knows? Okay. Um, I'd like to see Malik Knowles. Uh, on the field more often than Viking Gill probably, um, just because I uh, I feel like Malik Knowles is has a better upside, mm-hmm. but uh, <clears throat> we'll see. Another name is Joshua Youngblood, who's not listed on the two deep right now, but coaches are saying that he's probably going to see some time this year, um, and so that's a guy that if he can make some strides here over the first month or two of the season, then I think that the wide receiver unit could use some uh, of his infusion of talent. Um, Sebastian Taylor is my guy. That really? I, that's not on the two deep right now that I, I have high hopes for. 
uh, here what, in is, 2019. Is he a, what year is he? He is a sophomore. He's a sophomore. Okay, so he's still got some time. Yeah. I feel like at this point, he hasn't really done much, and it's been uh, sort of... Maybe I was just expecting to see more of him last season, but I'd... Uh, but I remember he had still that... still young. T- yeah, he, he got into some games early on, I believe, in... Um, he got into some games early on last year, was there, didn't really, and then just really kind of disappeared. Then reappeared magically in the Iowa State game where he had a nice touchdown. Oh, that's right. So he, when I was watching that game and saw Big 13 hauled in in the end zone, I was like, man, I honestly hadn't seen him play probably yeah. in almost a month or so. So I think he's a guy, in terms of, what you want a wide receiver to look like physically. He's a big fella. He's, he's, I think he's, I'm going to look this up right quick. I think he has it here. 6'4", 223. That's the kind of profile you're looking for for a guy that, uh, one, if nothing else, could be a great red zone target for you. Um, so something that I, I'm going to keep an eye on for sure. Yeah, adds that size that oftentimes you don't, you, oftentimes K-State has had maybe some more undersized wide receivers. Well, yeah. Throughout throughout their history. You think in the last five or ten years, I mean, Brandon Banks, Tremaine Thompson, Tyler Lockett. Curry Sexton. Curry Sexton. All these guys that were pretty good wide receivers bit, yeah, for us. Yeah, good wide receivers. But a guy like Sebastian Taylor could be offer you something that Chris Harper provided, for example. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and give you a, a bigger target. Sure. Sure. Well, I want to get to, I think, if it's not Skylar Thompson on the offense – what I think is the most important group is the offensive line. With, uh, like I said, going to be a, a more run-oriented offense uh, than uh, many other teams here in the Big 12 uh, with, uh, with Courtney Messenhan calling the shots. K-State returns quite a bit of experience upon that offensive line. Of course, losing uh, Dalton Risner uh, to the NFL draft. You know, that, that's an all-Big 12 caliber player that is going to be you know, difficult to replace, but you have Nick Nick Kaltmeyer stepping in there, who has seen some time, and I really, like Kaltmeyer. Yeah, and he's he's acquitted himself fine. Um, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, he was in that he started uh, in the um, the Cactus Bowl when Risner was battling injury, didn't play, and he had seen some experience there, if, if memory serves me correctly. Yeah, and he played a little bit last year too, just among all the injuries. And I remember specifically watching him last year, and he was just ragdolling people. Yeah, he's got. I mean, he's got the frame that you're looking for. Six eight three zero seven is what he's listed at. Yeah, so it's really good size. It's the type of size you want uh, out of your tackle. And so I, I've always liked Kaltmeyer. Uh, it, I'm a little blown away that he's already a senior and hasn't and has just seen as little time as he had because our Hart, offensive line has, yeah. you know, struggled in the last year or two. Um, at times, and so that's a guy that I thought, man, I hate seeing him on the bench, but uh, most notable thing about the offensive line, five seniors, um, at least on the most recent depth chart. Uh, Evan Curl playing left guard for K-State, um, well, listed as Evan Curl or Revis. I'd like to see Revis in there, uh, truthfully, just because um, younger, he's a big old boy, and I think he's got a bit of a higher upside. But one of those guys is going to be playing left guard. Um, 
And if it's Evan Curl, I'll be eager to see how, how he does in his senior year. Um, otherwise, Holtorf at center, Mitchell at right guard, uh, guys who've played for K-State in the past and have, you know, had their ups and downs. But uh, maybe another year, um, a new a chance for a new offensive system. They get in there and uh, put together an offensive line that can get a good push for what's going to be a heavy running game. Okay, so we hit all of the positions of the offensive side of the ball except for one, and that's the running back. And that's full uh, running. Running, well... We are going to see some fullback, too, of course. That's right. So we can group all them guys together. Let's, um, let's talk first about running back. So you have Alex Barnes, uh, who le- left early uh, to try his hand in the NFL. K-State was left in a very bad position. Uh, with When you look at the returning depth, they had none uh, after, after Alex Barnes. Jordan Brown comes in grad transfer. James Gilbert comes in grad transfer. Uh, Brown from North Carolina. Gilbert from Ball State. And then a slew of freshman running backs uh, make their way uh, to Manhattan to essentially just be able to fill out uh, a running back room. Talk to me kind of about who you think might be your – I don't know if this will necessarily be an offense – that has the bell cow running back like you saw with uh, with Alex Barnes. But talk to me kind of a little bit about what your thoughts are on, on how that running back room shapes out in, 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 a, in a most likely scenario for you, maybe who you see leading K-State on the ground this year. Well, I think it's going to be a committee, as you said, um, between uh, Jordan Brown and... Uh, James Gilbert, uh, coaches have talked a lot about Harry Trotter, which, what a name. Um, former walk-on at Louisville. And and then some, I would guess, one of the freshmen uh, starts kind of inserting himself to, maybe a guy like Joe Irvin. Um, and I think what we're going to see here is, I think that and especially these first two games, you're just going to see guys get, you know, each of those guys get six to ten carries per game and just kind of look at it on a game-by-game basis and determine which one's got the biggest head of steam. But I think what what the uh, what the coaches want to do here is just keep fresh legs in that backfield um, because the offense requires, I mean, it's going to be a pretty run-heavy offense as we talked about, um, and they're going to be making substitutions early and often. Uh, in terms of who I think is going to be the one to uh, to carry the brunt of the load throughout the season, I think uh, I think it's probably going to be Jordan Brown, um, just because I think, in my opinion, I think he's got the most talent. Fair enough, and he's got the the bigger frame to be more of a workload than a guy like uh, <clears throat> James Gilbert, who's a little bit smaller, more scatty. Well, and I think that even some of the freshmen that come in there, uh, when you look at guys like, um, oh gosh, what is it? Is it Clyde Price? I don't know if they're necessarily moving him to the uh, other side of the ball, but Joe Irvin, uh, guys that have gotten kind of some talk maybe get some spot-type duty, just as a little bit of a change of pace. But I wonder, though, if they're going to insert those guys enough 
to burn red shirts on it. No, I don't think that they will. Yeah. I, so one thing I think that you can but see I think with those that, freshmen I think is will, rotate them. I think they will burn some though, because I do think you want to have maybe some balance in terms of class size. Yeah. I think that that might enter into the fi- into the picture, but I would have a tough time thinking they'd just sacrifice that if a guy's not going to play. I mean, right? Yeah. I mean, if he if he's not good enough to get on the field, then then. Uh, then that might not occur. But Joe Irvin's a guy that I think might be able to bring something in terms of a change of pace uh, from outside of that kind of that top three or four group of running backs. But certainly be interested to keep an eye on. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I'm i just interested. It's It's been a few years since we've had a true – I mean, I don't think I can remember us ever having this many running backs who all could vie for four or five carries a game. Um, because literally, I think that there's five guys on our roster who will get that number in these first two or three games. Yeah, I think that's certainly a possibility. So overall, I expect this. Uh, I expect this offense to be very run oriented. Um, I think the big X factor here is going to be our wide receivers um, in terms of whether they can do enough to balance this out and really utilize what I think Skylar Thompson does bring to the table in terms of passing. Uh, if the wide receivers perform better than expected, then I think that opens up a lot for this offense. I think that's well said. Thank you. I don't, I don't think I can argue with that at all. If we can get some the, – the biggest thing I'm question mark-wise for K-State offensively is where do they find explosive plays on offense. Yeah, because and, and that's the and that's the biggest thing. Well, and if you go back and watch some of those North Dakota State games, it's not an explosive offense, really. I mean, you can find explosive running plays just by a guy getting loose, and but their offense is mostly between the tackles, um, and that doesn't exactly lend itself to. The chunk 30, 40, 30, right? Yeah, thirty it, forty yard. Play. It lends itself to three or four yards in a pile of dust. But um, but that can be effective too. It's just a matter of when teams do start to pound the box and K-State is in a position where they need to uh, run play action to keep the defense honest. Is there a guy that can stretch the field like Jordy Nelson, for example, or Quincy Morgan, or somebody who can just burn you, Tyler Lockett, just burn you down the field? Deion Murphy. Yeah, Deion Murphy. Ernie Pierce. <laughs> yeah, guys like that. Uh, who can keep a defense honest and, and prevent them from just bringing everything in within and making a play five or six it. yards in the, on the line of scrimmage. Yeah. So we've kind of gone over the offense and, wh- and where we, we view this K-State offense uh, being and what we expect it to look like. Icon, why don't you uh, walk us through the defense a little bit and tell us what we can expect from this uh, K-State defensive. So defensively, I kind of like the makeup of this team. The one thing I probably have the most concern about is cornerback. Uh, with you know losing Duke Shelley, who was of course injured at the uh, kind of at the middle part of the season, and then you know wasn't able to play towards the end. But you've got guys that have played some football there: uh, Walter Neal, uh, Kayvon McGee, Lance Robinson. All saw some time last year. Of course, AJ Parker uh, did as well. But I do like what they have at, um, at the safety position with Denzel Goolsby, who's a senior and has played a lot of football, is a guy that is pretty darn dependable back there. 
the guy that has gotten a lot of talk as being um, really kind of an outstanding player here through fall camp is uh, Wayne Jones, uh, the redshirt freshman out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. So definitely a guy to keep an eye on uh, for the Cats this season on defense. When I also look at this, uh, this defensive uh, unit, I think really the, the part that sticks out to you is the defensive line. Not only do you have guys that are all Big 12 caliber like Reggie Walker and Wyatt Hubert, you have guys like Trey Deshaun who are very dependable, also another Big 12 caliber player with Deshaun, uh, but guys that have, have played uh, played at a high level, and with Reggie Walker, you have a senior. Trey Deshaun, you have a senior. And then Wyatt Hubert, you have a sophomore that you know really played really well last year, and you expect to take another big step this year. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, looking at the depth chart, it's a, a little surprising that you have a guy like uh, Reggie Walker um, listed as or with – uh, Kyle Ball, meaning it could be Reggie Walker or Kyle Ball, um, especially just because of Walker's experience and really the, I mean, he was a preseason All Big Twelve yeah. guy, and so it's it's interesting to see. Now, granted, that preseason All Big Twelve list is a little questionable in terms of how that list gets generated, but um, you know, it's you can, you can look at the depth chart and wonder, okay, is is that a product of the coaches having not as much faith in Reggie Walker? Is it a product of the coaches liking what Kyle Ball's given them throughout the season? And so on the defensive line, it's a little questionable in terms of uh, that defensive end position. But one thing that K-State really needs to do uh, on the defensive line this year is just generate a pass rush. Yeah, get off the quarterback. And, and that's going to be – it's always paramount, especially in the Big 12, where you know you have your – Oklahoma's well, maybe not so much this year with with Jalen Hurts. I'll be interested to see how they kind of adapt to his skill set. But teams like Texas Tech, which that also might may change too a little bit. But Baylor, um, West Virginia going out of the air raid. Teams are going to be throwing the ball forty, maybe fifty times a game, uh, depending on the situation. The best way to to slow down a passing offense is not necessarily covering them, but making sure that quarterback is either on his back quite a bit or being hurried to where he has to take, you know, shorter throws, maybe a little bit more risky throws as he's, you know, got his, got his, uh, some hands in his face. So defensive line is, I would say, the best uh, feature here of this K-State defense here in 2019. And I expect, I expect good things out of it. And part of the reason, and I want to get to your, uh, the Reggie Walker comment that you made, uh, there had been some talk that maybe Reggie had been a little bit banged up here in fall camp and uh, that Kyle Ball had really shown, uh, you know, kind of shown out and had, had done really well in fall camp. You have to remember, Kyle Ball is also uh, a senior that has played, you know, some pretty significant snaps. Yeah. So that's what I like best about this defensive line. I'm, you look at Reggie Walker and Kyle Ball, senior, senior. Trey Deshaun, senior. Drew Wiley, junior, his backup. Uh, Jordan Mitty, senior. Joe Davies, senior. Wyatt Hubert, sophomore, but a really a standout sophomore. Yeah, I mean, not not just a guy, arguably the best player on the defense. Yeah, and I think that I think it's fair to say that he's the most he's the best thought of player on the defensive line. Sure, notwithstanding Reggie Walker's preseason All Big Twelve accolade. Yeah, but. and then even having him backing him up is uh, Bronson Massey, who's a guy who's also seen some seen some action. So. 
that's what I probably like best about this. It's not just the quality of the players, but also the quality of the backups and, and just the overall depth of that position. Because you see it throughout a, throughout a season, there are going to be some guys that are going to be unavailable for games or they might not be at 100%. So when it, you can rotate some fresh bodies in there and, and keep these guys fresh, I, I think that'll pay dividends as we get in later to games, into the fourth quarter, and also later into the season. Yeah, and, and not only rotating fresh bodies in, but rotating fresh bodies in who aren't going to be wide-eyed. Sure. Um, yeah, they played the some game. football. They've they've been through. Uh, they've been in the trenches. They've seen the bullets fly. They've seen the bullets fly. Like right. uh, like one K State icon. That's right. Is, uh, has mentioned, but uh, one uh, position group that I think uh, we may have glossed over is the linebacking core. Sure. And obviously Justin Hughes. That in, you know I read some comments today from uh, from Chris Kleiman. It was either today or yesterday that. Uh, you know, said that we don't have quite that leader now because with Justin Hughes being out with a torn ACL, we we lost a leader with him on our defense. I think he called him the alpha. The alpha, exactly. And you know, I'll be I'll be honest with you, Justin Hughes, as you may remember, last year was off the team at this time last year, and then got welcomed back in. Maybe not right at this time, but he was welcomed back at one point or another, uh, whether if it was after the season started or right leading up to the season and had to re- kind of work his way back up the depth chart. And then really, uh, towards the end of last year, I felt was playing at an all-Big 12 caliber level. And you, you hate to see that for, for him, and also you hate to see that for K-State, that a guy that was really uh, finding his, his role and also finding a role as a leader on the team um, – to, to be able to not be able to go into that here this year in the first year of, uh, of Chris Kleiman at K-State is disappointing. But I do like what I see at this, uh, at this position. So K-State plays 4-2-5, four down linemen, two linebackers, five defensive backs. And Daquan Patton, maybe a little disappointing last year uh, for me, but another year in the system, uh, of course, transferred from California. So had to set out a whole year, maybe a year getting back in uh, to to uh, to get it into the action. Maybe has a bit of a better second year uh, here at K State, uh, but I do really like Elijah Sullivan and uh, Daniel Green. Of course, Elijah Sullivan has battled injuries uh, throughout his time here at K State, but when he's healthy, I thought he uh, was just really about every good as what Justin Hughes was last year. So I do like uh, what K State has on that. Um, at that level of the defense, a guy that I want to keep an eye on, though, is Daniel Green. I think uh, folks that have followed K-State recruiting uh, over the years when he, we uh, won a good recruiting battle against, um, I believe, Oregon State as well as Utah, who, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, Utah's getting some love as a preseason uh, playoff contender. Yeah, I, I have seen that. They, uh, they got a pretty good team this year and a pretty favorable schedule, and so... Look out for the Utes. But Pac-12 uh, talk aside here, Daniel Green's a guy that's very interesting. Big physical linebacker, 6'2", 226. A guy that has had the reputation uh, from his teammates of being one of the most physical players that they see on a on a day in, day out in practice. So uh, once again, linebackers may be a little bit thin in terms of just the depth because I – I think that uh, Daniel Green would back up either one of those uh, positions with, with either um, Patton or Sullivan, but he's a guy that I'd really like to get 
to see him out there on, on the field, and I have no doubt that we will see that this year. Yeah, I think Daniel Green is uh, the future of this K-State defense, and so the, the earlier he gets on the field, the better. Um, you know, you just want to see him make some strides and uh, start becoming uh, more involved in the defense. Uh, then rounding this out at the nickel position, as you mentioned, four two five. Uh, on the depth chart, we have Jerome McPherson, uh, and backing him up, <clears throat> excuse me, is Jonathan Durham. Yep. A uh, little bit different than what we saw last year. I believe Walter Neal uh, mm-hmm. was in the nickel last year. As you mentioned, he's been moved out to corner. Uh, what do you What do you think of uh, the guys projected in the nickel right now? Well, nickelback, like you said, Jerome McPherson, I believe last year was primarily a safety. So a little bit of a position change for him. That would be another question mark on this defense. Jonathan Durham, though, is a guy that has played quite a bit of football. Uh, I, I was happy to see uh, Jerome McPherson uh, you know, get a chance. I think he might have a little bit more upside of that position. But at the same time, uh, Jonathan Durham is, has played a lot of football, is a guy that has, has uh, you know, seen what the offenses in the Big 12 can produce. And, I, you know, you look at the PFF stats, which take those with a grain of salt. We'll, t- we'll talk about yeah. You know, once we finish rounding this out, I think this is a good platform for us to uh, to get woke on what PFF is. All I, I agree, but they do grade him out as one of the better pass defending uh, pass defenders in terms of whether if it's quarterback rating, passes broken up. He is one of the better ones returning this year in the Big 12. So a guy that uh, will probably be maybe uh, kind of a jack-of-all-trades maybe guy in the secondary just because of his experience. But I'd like I'd say he'd probably be primarily uh, at the nickelback position. But you know that will be something that'll be interesting to watch as as we move on. And uh, okay, so that kind of rounds out the defense. So I have a question for you. Are you ready, Icon? I'm I'm born ready. Is the mob back? I think this is going to be a pretty darn good defense. Yeah. I won't go as far as saying the mo- if the mob's uh, no, back. I'm, I'm going to make you get off the fence. We need a proclamation from the Icon. The mob is back, baby. The mob is back, baby. The mob is back in 2019, my man. I love it. Well, the mob is back. I'm looking forward to that shutout in Nickel State. And the one thing that, if I have, since I'm saying the mob is back, I point to one thing, and that's this defensive line. I think they're going to be able to get after people this year. And I do like what I see from the linebackers, provided we stay healthy. Yeah, I think uh, one Losing, thing. With, with Justin Hughes in this lineup, the mob is back, no questions asked. Not even a hesitation. Oh, it's no question. But my my one worry, and this is a frustration I had, I mean, staying on the linebackers, I think Elijah Sullivan, capable. Daquan Patton, if he can be fast out in space, and I think because I think that's really where his struggle. I think he's a sure enough tackler. But it, but last year I thought his problem was just being too slow in, in space to cover what spread offenses demand defenses cover. And so if he can just be more nimble out there and cover more space, great. Because I think that I, I trust him as a tackler. It's just in coverage is where I think he gets into a little bit of trouble. You know, and they talk a little bit about the new philosophy, we'll call it, on conditioning, where less running, saving – saving some guys' knees a little bit in their legs. Maybe you see he gains a step from that. But, no, I, I think that is a fair, that is a fair criti- uh, critique, criticism, however you want to call it, 
but really, I think this defense is going to be one of the better ones in the Big 12. On the, I, last year, you look at points per game, I think we were second or third in the Big 12. Now, well, granted, there's there's the pace that, that you have to factor in, but the, the mob was noticeably absent in a couple games last year. A couple games? But a couple games, they played really great. I yeah. Mean, I mean, when you look at the game against... People, oh, people were bearish on our defense last year, and understandably so. I mean, we all watched the Oklahoma game. And, and the Mississippi State game yeah. and the Baylor game. And games Those were, are the ones that really stuck out to me. And the fourth quarter of the Iowa State game. Yeah, that was bad. But in a few other right. games, they played absolutely lights out. Yeah, against Texas Tech, against TCU, they – now, TCU offensively was not, necess- not necessarily the, you know, Kansas City Chiefs or the New Orleans Saints out and there. And Texas Tech was played in what felt like sub-zero weather with a backup quarterback. But – Holding them to without a touch on those impressive But anyway. Texas, too. I mean... Texas shut them out in the second half. Yeah, so... Th- One of the touchdowns they had it was a punt return. Right. And so you can look at some of these games last year and see, okay, th- these guys weren't so bad. In several games they played really well. But then in other games they would just go missing. And so uh, I think that there's some talent on this team. And most of it's returning um, in some form or another. And then you got you guys showing up like Wayne Jones, for example, and you start thinking this might be able to at least be more consistent. And I want to just talk briefly here as we've, we're have we wrapping this up here for K-State. There will be a little bit of a change in philosophy defensively from more of a quarters-style defense, uh, which, you know, K-State fans uh, have heard the term bend but don't break. Uh, that style is going to be modified a little bit more. There's been talk that's kind of been a little bit confusing. Scott, Scotty Hazleton is primarily a, a Tampa 2 or cover 2 uh, type style of defense kind of guy. But there's also been talk from uh, um, quarterback coach Van Malone. I was also going to call him Van Morrison. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for, for, for a moment there. But, but Van uh, Morrison's a hell of a recruiter. Yeah, but... Uh, Van Malone has said that he wants, I believe the quote was, he wants his cornerbacks to be up in press coverage eight or 11 out of 8 times, which the math doesn't quite check out there, but hey, I get what he's saying. So when you look at that, I think you're going to see a defense that is, is maybe not going to be as inclined to set back. I think with the cover two, of course, you're naturally going to be playing zone uh, often, but maybe a little bit tighter of a zone and, and uh, will maybe prevent uh, teams from – you know, how many times it was it when we would play in Oklahoma or, you know, any one of those spread monsters that they look out to the, the coach over there on the sideline when they signal in their plays, they get up to the line, they look back at their coach, and they don't really say anything because they can just throw it out to the wide side of the field and our guy's 10, 12 yards off them, and they can pick up 8 to 10 just like that. Yeah, it's insanely frustrating at times because you start wondering, okay, or bend but don't break, but the offense but, knows that, and they're willing to just take take the six, seven yards yeah. at a time and hope that, I mean, hell, if you break a tackle, that's that's really all that's standing between you and the end zone. So, um, yeah, no, I'll be, I'll be interested to see how that uh, philosophy changes and whether or not, um, you know, if we do get busted – on explosive plays this year, and we start wondering, well, maybe that bit of a don't break defense was so good. Yeah, there, there will, you know, as any good defensive coach, and of course offensive coach too, this fits for both sides of the ball. 
but there will be adjustments that have to take place throughout the season, throughout the throughout games uh, as well. So, be interesting to see uh, what uh, what that side of the ball uh, does stylistically this year. Yeah. So I think we've kind of wrapped up the defense a little bit. We both have a good idea for it. The mob's back, um, and we're we're the first ones to say it. Uh, just getting back to that pro football focus thing, real quick. Yeah. So Icon, I'm supposed to believe that you got two. PFF employees, and this is my understanding of it, and maybe my understanding is is wrong, so don't take this as gospel, but the way I understand it is that they're saying they got two, two guys who watch every single college football game, at least in the Power Five. And I think they go even down to... They go G5? I mean, they go, yeah, they go everything. Okay, so they got two guys watching every single college football game per week, okay? And not only do they watch the game, but they analyze what every single, all 22 players do on every single play. And they form a composite grade based upon the, on, on, that, uh, on that film. So they're watching each play of every college football game 22 times and assigning a grade to each player on every play. I don't buy it. I don't buy it either, and and <laughs> I don't I don't I don't buy that for a second. And Dilu, you know as well as anyone, nobody grinds harder on the film than I. Oh, you you're a you're in your lab until like two or three a.m. every single night. Yeah, and it's just another pot of coffee on for the icon as he just grinds down film and uh, grinds some coffee. Oh, of course, my man. Yeah, and uh, you know I think I take those stats with an absolute grain of salt. I mean, your eyes. That you know, I think most folks that listen to this podcast, most K State fans, they have a pretty good idea of of who's performing well and who's not. And you know, like take for example, I thought one of the grades that um, really never made much sense to me was Adam Holtorf grade. Now as one of the better centers in the Big Twelve, or maybe whether if it was offensive lineman or one. I know at one point going into the 2018 season, he graded out as one of the top five centers in the country. I. I don't see God it. love Adam Oldorf, but I don't see it. I don't. I don't see it either. I mean, just some quick math. Let's assume 130 plays per game, that's, roughly. That's, that's yeah. conservative. 65 yep. per team. Pretty slow pace. 22 times 130. That's uh, 2,860 grades per game, and that's just one guy because two guys got to review it. So these guys are doing conservatively 5,720 grades per game. I don't think, I don't know how there's, and they're getting these out, what, a day or two after yeah, Sunday or quick Monday? Turnaround. Quick turnaround. Hmm. My, my alarm bells are going off about that. Well, and folks, that's why you have the short side option, bringing you this hard-hitting analysis rather than those schmucks over there at PFF. So when you see these PFF grades that, come out on Twitter and stuff, just ask yourself, how, how did they calculate? How, did, how do they know what everybody's grade is? Don't let your eyes deceive you. I'm just, I, I just, I'm not so sure about that. I'm with you. I'm with you. Well, well thanks for entertaining my conspiracy hey, corner. No, I, I, you, we have just, uh, discussed this uh, around the apartment, and uh, we, we are in lockstep on this. So <laughs> I, I'm with you entirely. So... We've previewed K-State. We've 
given you all you need to know about the bunk that PFF puts out there for in terms of their college grades. Up next, you notice we didn't give you a prediction on K-State, but we will give you a prediction uh, not only on the Wildcats, but on the rest of the Big 12 as we give our official season predictions throughout the conference. Join us after the break. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. Here comes the money. Money, All right, we are back here on the Short Side Option Podcast, where it is time to put pen to paper. Blood money, to, money where our mouths are. Yeah, blood to paper. We're signing these predictions in blood. These are our official Big 12 predictions from the Short Side Option Podcast. We, we, have, our, we have our ceremonial scalpels right here. That's after, right. After making these predictions, we'll go through with the uh, ceremony and uh, actually put blood to paper. And... D'Lo, I feel pretty darn good about what I've got over here. Yeah, and, and just to preface this, I don't think you can find predictions like this anywhere else. Because it's very easy to say, well, Texas is going to finish second in the Big 12 this year, and they're going to go 7-2. and 7-2 and and in the Big that's, 12. That's and, how it's going to yeah. be. Yep. Um, but no, listener, we have mapped out, we've predicted every single game of the season. We'll tell you what Texas's record's going to be, and we'll even tell you how they got there. That's right. And we'll do that for all, all 10 teams. And, and you only find this here on the short side option, folks. Yeah, I don't, it's never been done before. So, Dilo? Icon? Who do, we, who do we want to start with? Well, you know what? Let's start at the bottom and work our way to the top. How's that sound? Let's start with KU. Let's start with KU. That's right where I'm going. I've got them 2-10, and 0-9. 0-9. Oh See, I have them... Uh, Three and nine, one and eight. Okay. So I take it uh, you have them winning their first two and then losing out. Is that right? That is correct. I have them winning their first two and losing until an October 26th date. The Texas Tech Red Raiders visit Lawrence, Kansas. Oh, okay. And uh, KU gets the better of them. Okay. But so uh, so uh, a fine year for uh, Les's first season for me. Maybe uh, I think uh, going two and ten would have some Jayhawks uh, a little disappointed in the first year, but um, we'll see how that goes. And that win total is at three, correct? That win total is at three. I have them pushing, so in my opinion, yeah, go ahead. You know, honestly, probably three is a safe is a little bit safer than uh, two, but uh, you know, I'm gonna say it with my chest, baby, two and ten for KU this year. I love it. So uh, my ninth place team in the 2019. Big 12 standings, none other than the Texas Tech Red Raiders, who oh. you have uh, the Red Raiders um, losing to KU. So what what do you see here for the Red Raiders here uh, in 2019? Well, I I believe it or not, notwithstanding uh, that loss to KU, I actually have Texas Tech doing pretty well this year. Oh, is that a fact? <laughs> okay. Yeah. I have Tech going 8-4. and four. How about that? Wow, well, hey, there we go. So we disagree on this one. Yeah, it, I think that KU game is going to be a bit of an aberration. I have uh, Tech waltzing through their uh, their out of conference. Uh, the only tricky game there is a date with uh, Arizona and Tucson. Is that in Tucson? Is that it, it? Is okay. I thought so. Uh, I wasn't sure if that was some weird neutral site nope. game, but it is in Tucson. Um, I have ever been, been to Tucson, by the way? Uh, you know, I don't think I have. Me neither. Always kind of want to go. Want to really go catch a game in the McHale Center, though. 
Yeah, that'd be a that'd be a lot of fun. Well, maybe we'll get out there one of these. Yeah, days. absolutely. Well, uh, I have Tech winning their first three, losing uh, to Oklahoma uh, in Norman, getting a W over Oklahoma State in Lubbock, uh, dropping one in Waco. Uh, and here's the big X factor: I've been beating Iowa State. Okay, uh, and that's a that's a home game. That's a home game. That's in Lubbock. Okay. Uh, I think they're going to be. Uh, feeling pretty high after that win, maybe a little too high when they. Yeah, I was gonna say they're not Kansas feeling too down. high, or if they are feeling too high, they're coming right down. That's right, and uh, so I've been dropping uh, a game in Lawrence just after beating Iowa State, and then uh, I think that uh, KU loss is gonna have them doing a little soul searching and return to earth a little bit, uh, where they will win their next three. Okay, uh, winning at West Virginia. Uh, at home against TCU and at home against Kansas State before losing their final game of the season at Texas. Okay, for Tech, I've got them uh, four and eight, as I mentioned. So the inverse of your uh, your eight and four. Very interesting. Um, but I have Tech at four and eight, two wins in the non-con. I have them losing on the road at Arizona. I have them beating Oklahoma State and beating KU. They're their four. All right. Well, uh, we'll see what uh, the Red Raiders serve up for us uh, this season. But uh, we diverge there. Yeah, so we do. I That's have, pretty sharp diverging, too. I would have uh, us uh, slamming the uh, over on that one. You'd have them slamming the under uh, by each more than a game. Mm-hmm. So, so well, uh, of course, that option has a differing reads on the Red Raiders. So, I, and these are just my stands as well. I'm going up. Yeah, we're, I, we're following... The well, icon. So, feel free. So, you where do you have Tech? I mean, at eight and four in terms of what they they finish out the season at in terms of where their standing is in the Big Twelve. That's probably four or five. Uh, I have them uh, tied for uh, fifth place. For, okay, I, I see a little bit of a log jam too, and we'll we'll get to that here shortly. Um, so, at, at the eighth place team in the Big Twelve, uh, I'm going in here with West Virginia. I've got them going four and eight, three and six in the league. We see that similarly. I have them going four and eight, two and seven. Uh, who are uh, the wins against in your eyes? Uh, for me, West Virginia knocks off uh, James Madison, which I will tell you one thing, folks. Do not sleep on the Dukes week one against uh, West Virginia. Both coaches uh, with James Madison uh, ha- having lost their coach, there was another um, – FCS to FBS uh, transition there, and I cannot for the life of me remember where um, where G- George uh, or not George James Madison lost um, lost their coach to, but uh, the, a very good FCS program. So West Virginia fans, keep your eyes out for that one. I believe uh, West Virginia is only about a ten point favorite in that one too. So just keep your eye on that one. But I have them winning against the Dukes, and then I have them dropping. Uh, two, their next two uh, non-con games uh, on the road uh, at Mizzou and at home against North Carolina State. Could probably see them beating North Carolina State uh, out of those two. I think it would be the most likely. Uh, but then I have them beating KU. I have them beating Texas Tech. And I have them uh, beating Oklahoma State where they finished the season 4-8 and eight and uh, – and three and six in the league. Interesting note here about West Virginia. They are one of the 
very I think they might be the only or they are one of only very few teams that play 10 games this season against or uh, excuse me they're the games. only school that plays 11 games against power 5 competition wow that's uh you only get that here on the short side option folks that's right folks uh i've them winning one of those uh out of conference power 5 games i've been losing to missouri but beating north carolina state i've been beating kansas and uh, believe it or not, Icon, I have West Virginia starting out 4-2 and two okay. this year. I've been dropping the game to Texas after they beat KU and winning at home against Iowa State. And that's a very interesting thing because Iowa State travels back-to-back weeks. And, I, and we'll get into this when we talk about them. But they travel to West Virginia and Lubbock in back-to-back weeks. Folks, that's a, that's a lot of travel. That is. That's tough. Span. And against two of the teams in the conference that aren't supposed to be great, but I have a, I think that that's going to be an ugly stretch uh, for the Cyclones in what otherwise is a decent season, but we'll get on to that in a little bit. Um, and then after beating Iowa State in what is going to be an upset, they too, uh, like Texas Tech, will receive a bit of a kiss of death um, with that and uh, go on to lose their remaining six games. So I've been starting out four and two, ending the season four and eight. Okay, so we agree on the final record there. Yes. Okay. Interesting way of getting there, though. So I like yeah. that. I so like that. Uh, we, we are both under five and a half for the Mountaineers in Neil Brown's first season. Coming in at seventh place in the 2019 short side option projections. I've got the TCU Frogs. All right. At six and six, three and six in the league. Wow. So that must mean that you have TCU going on the road and winning one against the Boilermakers. I do. I do. That's uh, that I think it's a little bit early. I think it's a little bit early. Um, I think TCU's defense shows up there. I think it's a little bit early for Purdue. They're bringing in a new quarterback there. Uh, I do believe. I like TCU in that game. People in West Lafayette, very uh, very excited about their... Uh... As they should be. Rondell Moore's a hell of a player. <clears throat> All right, so walk us through conference play for the Frogs. Through conference play uh, for the Frogs, I have them winning their opener against KU. And then I have them really hit the skids, losing... Let's see, that's one, two, three, four, five straight games in conference play after that opener uh, victory uh, at home in Fort Worth against KU. And then I have them uh, winning two out of their last three uh, wins against uh, Texas Tech and West Virginia to close out uh, a 6-6 six and six season for Gary Patterson and the Frogs. Well, I think, what do you think about that? I think uh, we agree on the final record. 6-6, six and six, you have them at 4-5. and five. Oh, no, you have them three, three and six. Three and six. Three and six in the league, yes. So I have a... Uh... And I made these predictions not knowing what the announcement of Alex Dalton starting at quarterback, and that that locks me in. I, I feel very good about that. So you have them beating Purdue with Alex Dalton. That one shakes a little bit. I, I Personally, I think they might be closer to five and seven, but I don't think, and this is what I was going to get to, is I think 6-6 six six is a good final record for TCU in my eyes. I just have too many concerns about the quarterback play. Otherwise, if they nail out the quarterback play, they could easily be 9-3, and 8-4. But I just have too many questions uh, at, the, at the helm for TCU. 
And I don't think it's likely that Alex Delton is the quarterback uh, for TCU when they come to Manhattan uh, mid-October. But, you know, if he if he takes the, the job and, it, you know, is efficient, then I'll eat crow. But I, I think Texas Tech is, with Alex Elton at quarterback this season, it's going to be about a 6-6 six and six team. I do expect them to, to juggle some quarterbacks throughout the season. All right. Well, I have uh, TCU uh, going 2-3, and 2-1, and one, excuse me, and they're out of conference with wins over Arkansas Pine Bluff and SMU. I have them dropping the game against Purdue, uh, getting a W at home against KU, uh, losing at Iowa State and K-State to back-to-back, in back-to-back weeks. Uh, and then a shocker for the Frogs, beating Texas at home. Okay. Okay. I don't um, mind that. And then dropping one to Oklahoma State in Stillwater, beating the Baylor Bears at home in uh, in Fort Worth, uh, dropping games in Lubbock and Norman in back-to-back weeks. Then finally uh, getting a win over the Mountaineers on the last week of the regular season. Okay. Finishing the season six and six in conference, or I'm sorry, six and six overall, four and five in conference, and under seven and a half. Okay. So I'm under seven and a half as well. All so right. We, we agree on that. Um, now, K State fans, I've made it through the first, uh, the bottom four teams here in the league, and you have not heard K State's name called yet. Many people are probably asking themselves, where does the icon does, have K State pass? Does he possibly have them again at 10 and 2? Is he mad? Or is he scary smart? What What is it? Drum roll, please. I have K-State finishing 6-6. Six and six, <laughs> Four and five. Man, that anticipation was In the Big uh, 12. killing me. You know, Icon, guess what? I have K-State finishing 6-6 six and six and 4-5 and five in the Big 12. Wow. Wow. That's how about that? I so, think we see this one now. Now here's the question here. I think we both obviously have them dropping a non-conference game. Yes, that's you, right. Which game is that? That would be to uh, Bowling Green. Really? No. Oh. <laughs> yeah, you did it for me. Uh, I was just trying to Mississippi teach State. you. Okay, we see that one similar. Uh, let's talk about uh, what you see K State uh, here as they they make their way in 2019. I've them uh, boy. So we talked about non-con. Uh, right off the bat, well, they get a bye week, of course, uh, before conference play begins. But then they begin conference play in Stillwater. I have them dropping that game. We agree there. Uh, before returning at home uh, and winning their next two against Baylor and TCU in the friendly confines of Bill Snyder Family Stadium. Icon, what do you have over those next two games? Next two games, I have them splitting them, losing one to Baylor, beating t- TCU. Fair enough. Um... I assume we both both have them losing at home against uh, the Sooners. Yes. And I assume we both have them getting a W the following week in Lawrence. Yes. Is it fair to assume that uh, you have them dropping one to Texas? Yes. And then returning to get a W at home against West Virginia? Yes. So here's where we probably differ. And this is probably because I'm so high on Texas Tech. But I have us losing... On the road in Lubbock. Do you have us winning there? I have us beating Tech in Lubbock and losing to Iowa State to close out the season. Okay, I see. I have us losing our final two games of the season at Tech and at home against Iowa State. Man, I went back and forth on that Iowa State pick. Yeah. No, it, I, it just, I really had to swallow hard there. Uh, but I think Iowa State's a better team than we are this year. And, you know, we don't have whatever magic 
whatever curse was hanging over the head of the Cyclones without Snyder uh, on our sideline. So I think that, well, maybe that magic can transfer over. Uh, but I, uh, I was losing at home to Iowa State. Well said. So six and six, a bowl game in Chris Kleiman's first year at K State. That'd be great. That'd be great. And cashing a five and a half over ticket. That's right. So, how do you feel? If I was going to ask you, you have to put you have to put your money down on K State going under or over five and a half. What level of confidence do you have in in, in playing the over? Um, because here's how not what, a lot. So a lot of folks that have asked me this. Have asked me like, "Hey, Chris, what do you think about K State this year? What's the record?" And many people are coming. Many, up. many people have been asking me this, and I say six and six, but closer to five and seven, seven and five. I think that uh, you. Yeah, you I think that's fair. that line of thinking. Yeah, I mean, we're being pretty charitable in some of these toss-up games. I mean, Baylor at home. Eh, yeah, you wonder no, about that. No, and, and I, I, the the way I see the K State one is, you know, you take one of those games. Yeah, I think that's. I think that's. I think that's fair to say. Which one you want to take? I don't care. It depends on what I see because I like Baylor more than I like TCU. Yeah. So for me, I don't think it's unlikely. I don't think it's impossible by any stretch that we win both of those games. I wouldn't say that we would, but it would not shock me if we did. Um, on the other hand, it wouldn't shock me if we lost both of them. I think somewhere right in the middle is where, where we where we finish there. Boy, if we lose both those games, yeah, it gets we're sitting at two and four with a trip to uh, with hosting Oklahoma that next week, and two and five staring down the barrel of a gun. So the one thing, and and this is the last we'll we'll uh, talk on K State here is we're we're moving through this, but you know, in both of our schedules, there's really not that one signature win. For, for Chris Kleiman in his first year. One that says, hey, you know what, we went out and beat one of the top teams in our league, or we, you know, pulled an upset, really, that, you know, where we were a double-digit dog, something like that. We don't see it happening, based on our predictions. No, and I haven't been shy about making some bizarre upset calls. What, if you had to pick one on this schedule, where would you point to? Well, I mean... Looking at this, I think that there's likely two games that jump out to me. Or, I'm sorry, three games that jump out to me where I think K-State's probably going to be a double-digit dog. And not even necessarily a double-digit dog, but just a nice kind of a, a nice program win for, yeah, for Kleiman. Mean, Something that he can hang his hat on. I think that beating Iowa State is probably our best shot for that. Um, just because I think that of, of our four hardest games, and I am including Iowa State in that, um, the other three being Oklahoma, Texas, and Mississippi State. I think Iowa State's the most likely of those four, um, and I. So I would say that that's one that end of the season against an Iowa State team that who knows what who knows who what, knows what they'll be. Yeah. But I think it's fair to say that they're a seven to nine yeah. win team is probably safest uh, a, a safe guess there. I think that'd be a nice solid way to uh, go out, and I think it's the most likely of our four hardest games. I agree. I think Iowa State is is the most likely. What's second most to you? Uh, probably Mississippi State. I, I agree with you there. And you know what? The one thing that I'm really interested about this game, this kind of fits the profile, okay, right, of climbing, going on the road, 
when he was at North Dakota State yeah. to Iowa to Iowa to um, K State. I mean, obviously not as the head coach, but really more than anyone, it kind of looks at that Iowa game because after they beat Iowa, people are saying we're done with this. We're not. We're, we're not, not stupid. We're not scheduling yeah. these guys anymore. We don't want to come in and have a team embarrass us. And even if the perception matters, yeah. I mean, even if North Dakota State was a legitimately good team, it's that at the end of the day, I mean, I know how I felt in See, and, and that's why you and me differ on how embarrassing that loss is in 2013. Why is that? I don't think it's that embarrassing. Well, in hindsight, no. But at the time, it was an embarrassing loss. I mean, it sure felt that way that night. Oh, well, yeah, it wasn't great, but I, I wasn't. Yeah, like there are some we people were, that say we were ranked number one in the country the season before that. We yeah, lost at home to an FCS team. Yeah, that's true. But we also lost all the our, all of our best players off that team, pretty much. Right, but still, I mean, that's a that's a pretty quick fall from being one of the top programs, one of the top teams at least in the country. But you know what though, that 2013 team didn't get down. They kept grinding. Yeah, they grinded, man. And you gotta respect that. Yeah, absolutely. So that's enough about K State, but I'm really, and we'll talk more about the Mississippi State game as as that time approaches. That's a good point, though. I mean, it's it, it, a little it, bit of a David versus Goliath type of feel it, to it's it. Not even, yeah, but, but it's, a microcosm of that. Yeah. I mean, just that same sort of mentality of a team going on the road out of conference against a team that'll probably be a fairly significant favorite. Yeah, they'll be two touchdown. Yeah, and have a chance to go in there and Too make score. some noise. 10 and to 14. Maybe not shock the world, but certainly raise some eyebrows around the country. Sure. That'd be, I mean, if I also, too, I don't mind that getting the bye week before Oklahoma State, but enough on K State. Uh, we have them both at 6-6, six and 4-5. Six, and five. So a model of consistency there. Um, next, I've got coming in at fifth in the Big 12 is the Oklahoma State Cowboys. Have them pegged as 7-5, and 4-5 and five in the league. I have Oklahoma State at eight and four and five and four in the league. Okay, so we probably differ uh, one game either way there. Yep. So undefeated in non-con uh, at Oregon State. You know, I speaking. Of, sorry to interrupt, but I want to talk about this Oregon State game for a second. What's the line on? What's the line on that game? Fourteen and a half. Fourteen and a half to fifteen, Oof. depending on where you can find it. Oof. Icon. That's a game that I would be salivating. That's a paycheck game. I think so. Oregon State's bad, and their defense was. Historically bad last year. You have you give no credence that maybe Beaver Nation might be able to rise up for one. No, I don't think so. Well, and we may have talked about this on the show prior to this, but you know who that defense coordinator is out at Oregon State? I believe it's Tim Tibisar. That's exactly right. So struggled last year mightily uh, coaching that Beaver defense, and against uh, a Gundy offense, I'm uh, I'm a lot confident of that's going to be a lot of questions on who might be the trigger man, though. Yeah, maybe so. But if there's ever a time to Get some offense. It's uh, get some offensive offensive confidence. It's against uh, maybe a trip to Corvallis might be just with the doctor order. Hey, I'll make a bet for you on that game. Bet you OSU wins. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Con. Come on. I can't. I'm be, just I'm too much sometimes. Be serious, I? I'm too much. So we have them going. I have them going seven to five. You have them going eight and four. Correct. That's right. So I'll just run down here their schedule. On the road, opening up. Now, this is a place that they've had a lot of success at, and that's the 40 Acres, uh, mm-hmm. my friend. They've, I don't think they have lost at Texas. And I don't have it in front of me, of course, but I think it's since 2002. That can't be right. They would have beaten... Not, 
Not the Cole McCoy in I Austin. Believe so. I they well whether or not I, and we can we can fact check this here. What I'll do here, Drew, is I will uh, I will do the fact checking on this since I I brought this up here. But I want you to kind of just run down here uh, through this Oklahoma State schedule and see how you see things shaking out. I've been losing in Austin, and if uh, here on the short side option, we know that trends are your friends, and so if but if, trends don't play the rent, well, they can't. That's, that's just what I, that's how the other part of that saying always uh, seems to go. And so if it's really been since 2002 since Texas has beat Oklahoma State, I might have to rethink this. But I have been losing in Austin, um, getting a win at home against K State. Uh, going on the road and losing in Lubbock, uh, getting a W at home against Baylor, uh, losing in Ames, uh, winning their next two against TCU and KU uh, before going out and winning in Morgantown, West Virginia, and finally losing uh, that November 30th game uh, against Oklahoma that the uh, Pokies call Bedlam. Okay. And I haven't got all the way through uh, my... Uh my uh, looking here in 2002 was wrong. Well, let's just say that. Uh, might be 2010. Okay, that's a so little a, more reasonable. So a decade. Yeah, and a decade where Texas wasn't exactly a superpower. Yeah, and Oklahoma State had some really good teams there. So yeah. it's 2010. So my apologies, folks. Yeah, okay. That makes that makes a little more sense. So really since the Brandon Whedon era. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Uh, but for Oklahoma State, I'll, I'll just run through real quick. Lost to Texas, win against Kansas State, lost to Tech, win against Baylor, lost to Iowa State. They're just kind of teeter-tottering here. Then two wins against TCU and KU uh, at Boone Pickens Stadium, and then they dropped the final two at West Virginia and um, Bedlam. So uh, that's right. So you have one of West Virginia's two conference wins coming against – uh, Oklahoma State. One of three wins. Oh, excuse me. Okay. Very so. good. Um, so you have, we both have them at eight and four? Seven and five. You have me. them at seven and five. So we differ on the uh, number for Oklahoma State there, which is placed at seven and five. Seven and a half. Yes, seven and a half, excuse okay. me. 7.5. 7.5. Okay, that, that's a well set line. Yep. Well set line there. So uh, now we enter uh, the, the four spot here, batting cleanup in the Big 12. For the Iowa State Cyclones. Okay, so you have Iowa State at uh, the four spot. Very good. Why don't you run through uh, what, what what record do you have for the Cyclones? I have them at eight and four this year, uh, six and three in the league. Okay, so you have them dropping the Iowa game. Yes. Okay, and that's that's uh, that, where we and that's on a game, the record. And that's a game would not be shocked if Iowa State wins. Of course, I mean it's going to be a tightly contested game. Will one be one of the best games of that weekend too? The, the, I'll be I'll be I'll be tuned in for that one for sure. Looking forward. The to one that. thing that I might regret on this one, I, I you know it's already signed in blood, but Iowa State comes off an early season bye. Right before that game, which that might pay some dividends, but I I I've already got it stamped here. I'm going to win for the Hawkeyes in that game. Well, remember Iowa State was uh, had a game canceled last year. Yeah, and they had post- to make it. They had to make it up later in the season. Right, they, their game was canceled, and then they had to make up Drake. They just filled them in. Well, and a lot of the Iowa State faithful point to that cancellation as a reason they lost to Iowa last year is because well we didn't get our tune-up game. Well, that's that's true because I mean Iowa State's schedule last year was brutal. Uh, 
I believe two of their first three games were against Iowa and Oklahoma. And you start out one and two. It's tough. I mean, yeah, that's, then you're swimming you're, upstream. You're, yeah, you are for sure. Um, so let's, uh, yeah, let's go ahead and uh, get into uh, this Iowa State team here as, as we enter conference play. I have them losing what I think, and I mentioned this in an early uh, earlier podcast when we previewed both Baylor and Iowa State that I think that Iowa State Baylor game to kick off conference play uh, for each of those uh, respective teams is a huge game. Um, and I, I dig Charlie Brewer. I dig the the skill position that uh, I think that Baylor's just better at the skill positions. I think I think there's no question that Iowa State's better on defense, but I see Baylor squeaking out a shootout at home. I love it. I think that's a good pick. I, I differ from you there. I have Iowa State going down to Waco and uh, securing a W there. Uh, but uh, we'll see how that game turns out. I think that's a very interesting uh, interesting game to start off the Big 12 slate for Iowa State. So these next four games for Iowa State, after the, after the uh, conference opener against Baylor, they go. Uh, get, they welcome uh, the frogs into Ames. I see that as a win for the Cyclones. And then they go on for two road games, which I think you've already tipped your hand at here, uh, on the road to West Virginia and on the road to Texas Tech. I see both uh, those games uh, going the way of the Cyclones. Yeah, and I have them uh, losing those games after starting off five and zero. Okay, I think those Cyclones are gonna. Have their noses a little too far in the and they're in their own press clippings. Uh, yeah, in the Ames Tribune. While they're uh, Do you remember Nigel Tribune? <laughs> no. He's a former Iowa State player. I just oh. the, the, that name just stuck with me for whatever. Is reason. he related to Nigel Malone? Distantly, yeah. Oh wow. And Nigel Thornberry? Of oh what a that's there's a good <laughs> little drop in there of the wild thornberries. But go ahead, Drew, continue. Yeah, so I've been uh, the wheels coming off a little bit for Iowa State in uh, in uh, Morgantown and Lubbock before uh, riding the ship as they uh, enter the last uh, third of the season. Um, Losing in Lubbock uh, before getting a W at home against Oklahoma State and then a really tough game uh, down in Norman and no rest for the wicked. Uh, Then they host Texas, which I think will... uh, that's the game a lot of Iowa State people have circled on their calendar this year is a chance to really exercise that uh, Texas team and after so many years of um, perceived injustice in Ames with the Longhorns. I think they get that chance this year, beat Texas at home, uh, and finish out with two wins in as many weeks against KU and K-State. Okay, so... Finally, you have them eight and four, correct? I have them nine and three. Nine and three, excuse me. I have them winning against Iowa and going six and three in conference play. Okay. Nice year for Iowa State. A nice year for Iowa State. Yeah, that would be a nice one. Nine nine wins. Um, Maybe not reaching the heights that some of those people over on Cyclone Fanatic uh, are hoping for, but uh, certainly a year that you shouldn't be shaking a stick at in a good year for uh, for that program. Well, that's why they call them fanatics, Steely. That's right. So we move on here to uh, my third-place team in the Big 12. I don't know. where, where do you, Who do you have third? I don't think we have the same one. Well, no, because I have uh, Iowa State finishing third. Okay, so I have Baylor finishing third. 
And where do you, where do you have Baylor finishing out of out of uh, curiosity? Icon, I have a uh, Baylor finishing eighth in the conference oh, this year. Okay, all righty. Yeah. So we disagree here in a big way here on the Baylor Bears. I think we both have them starting out three zero. Uh, yeah, because their conference schedule or their out of conferences would make Bill Snyder blush <laughs> back in nineteen ninety. Uh, seven or so. Yeah, Stephen F. Austin, UTSA, and uh, on the road at Bryce. Yeah, and watch out for the Owls this year. Bayloff Stadium will be rocking, no question about that, folks. But um, Have you ever been to that stadium, by the way? I've driven by it. I, I went inside it one time. The stadium is it's huge. Ungodly big. Yeah. And it, it, walking in there just makes you... Well, you have to remember at the time. Southwest they, Conference. Yeah, Southwest Conference. That's where uh, John F. Kennedy made a Famous, I think that's where he made his uh, moon landing speech. Where he oh really? Wanted, he compelled there that we ought to go to the moon. That's how about that? How about that? But if you ever get a chance when you're down in Houston, check out that stadium and just try to imagine, you know, a bunch of people in the fifties and sixties hooting on the owls. Well, uh, they'll be hooting them on, but I, I see Baylor, uh, you know, moving their record to three and zero after that one. And then, Drew, I have Baylor starting the season 6-0 with wins over Iowa State, at K-State, and Texas Tech. All right. I like that's a That's a pretty bold uh, bold vision there. But when you look at that schedule, it's not crazy. I, I think if you squint hard enough, if you squint hard enough, you can see them starting 9-0. I mean, they don't – Yeah. If you squint hard enough, but I have them... Yeah, I mean, if, if you think that Baylor's got top half of the Big 12 talent, and I don't think that that's crazy, uh, then, yeah, none of those first nine games are all that rough. Now, the schedule's fairly backloaded. Sure, and we, we, we get to that here. I, I have them losing to Oklahoma State, uh, their first loss of the season. With, with the start of 6-0, you have to imagine Baylor will be right around the top 15, top 10 at that point. And uh, a loss to Oklahoma State, you know, will drop them a little bit. But I have them getting right back on the horse and uh, winning their next two against West Virginia and TCU uh, to where they are 8-1 uh, and one going in their final three games with real uh, hopes of getting in the playoff even. Uh, you know, it would all be right there in front of them. But I have them losing to the cream of the crop of the Big 12, both games of which for Baylor fans are at home. So uh, I have them losing to Oklahoma and Texas uh, before closing out with a win in Lawrence uh, to end the season. That game in Lawrence could be potentially a little tricky. Just because of the the hangover from Oklahoma and Texas? Could be. Yeah, I like that. I think that that's uh... – But I, I have them winning that one. So you have them going 9-3 on the season? 9-3. Six and three in the conference, and they they get the tiebreaker over Iowa State due to the the head to head result there. Sure, I have a uh, I'm Baylor going six and six this year, um, sweeping the out of conference, getting three W's in conference. Uh, those games against uh, Texas Tech at home, uh, West Virginia at home, and at uh, the Booth in Lawrence. The Booth. Um, you know, speaking of this, I don't want to get too far off here. Yeah, yeah. but but folks that sit on couples that sit on the same side of the booth, what's that all about? You know, it's a little off-putting. Um, does uh, do you ever have to do that? No. Okay, I didn't no. know if you and um, you know your sweetheart 
ever, uh, if your sweetheart ever badgered you or barked at you to sit on the same side as her. Nope, nope. She's very protective of her side of the booth, and <laughs> she usually wants me as far away as possible. So, uh, oh, Ike, I'm sure that's not true. Well, but that so interesting. We have a three game swing there on on, on the Baylor Bears. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds to me like uh, on some of these games against the middle of the pack in the conference, you just have uh, faith in Baylor, and I have faith on their opponent. Fair enough. It, it, this middle part of the Big 12, anywhere really, to me, three through seven, three through eight. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you, can, got, you got them at third, I have them at eighth. So, so. That, that shows the swings here in what should be a, a wacky and wild Big 12 uh, season here in 2019. So now we get to the final two, and we have the same final two. <sighs> yeah, it's just a matter of what order. There. So I have the Texas Longhorns checking in at number two. As do I. Ten and two, eight and one. Nine and three, seven and two. Okay. So um, you mentioned before Iowa State, correct? Is is one of the teams that slip up and uh, or that uh, Texas slips up against? Yeah, I think that uh, Texas uh, loses that game in Ames. Uh, we we both have them losing at home to LSU. I take it. Yes. Um, and that's a game I could easily go either way on. And I actually have Texas uh, winning the Red River Shootout. Oh, and yet okay. still losing two games in the conference. Those two games, uh, an October 26th contest in Fort Worth against TCU and uh, a game in Ames in a season that will leave Longhorns fans thinking, what if? What if we'd taken care of business against the teams that we should have? Um, and if they were able to do that in my scenario, they'd uh, have an 11-1 season and be playing... Uh, in Arlington for a shot at the playoff. I have a record in a season that will have uh, Texas fans also wondering what if. Losing to LSU is probably what's going to keep them out of the playoff, in my in my eyes. If they beat LSU, then buckle up, Longhorns, because you have a loss. And that's game. a game that they could easily, easily lose. Or easily win, easily win, yeah. excuse me. But I have I have them losing to LSU, and the reason why is I just think I like LSU a little bit more defensively. Uh, in an early season game, I have some questions about uh, Texas's inexperience on defense, but LSU's never a team that you know really scares you too much offensively. But early it, on... I think it, Texas has the horses. Oh, sure, sure enough, but I just don't know if they have necessarily the experience. Uh, that I would like to maybe see, but it, it's a game that I, it, it's a coin flip game, and I, I just see it coming up with a, the head of a tiger on this one. So you have them dropping at LSU and losing one more game. Yes, 2-0-U. 2-0-U. Okay, I think that that probably is chalk for Texas uh, on the season, depending on how the line looks against Iowa State. But 10-2, uh, great season for the Longhorns. The ten and two curse may have just moved on to, down to the forty acres, though, my friend. Yeah, that's that's very true. So we uh, we bring this Big Twelve prediction home here with uh, the Oklahoma Sooners. Uh, D. Louis, what do we got here for the Sooners? With Oklahoma winning all their games, with the lone exception of the game in the Cotton Bowl against Texas, um, the Texas State Fair. I have uh, Longhorns getting the better of Oklahoma at that game, uh, like they did last year. But uh, don't close the book on the Oklahoma Sooners season quite so fast because they'll have a rematch with Texas and Arlington. 
Well, that's been the case here for OU. Uh, they've not been able to escape a regular season undefeated, uh, but the last two years have made it to the playoffs. This year, they do that. 12-0 and for the Sooners this year. All right, and so that'll set up what I'm sure will be a lot of interesting conversations come uh, that first week of December where uh, the playoff picture will certainly be in full swing, and the question will be, what happens if OU loses this game? Because I'm sure that'll throw them in a whole heap of, um, or at least several other one-loss teams to consider. Um, and this year, that uh, that Oklahoma out-of-conference schedule isn't particularly uh, brutal. They have a, you know, Houston's a team that needs your attention. Is that right? Is Houston, is Derek, Houston back? Derek King is one of the best players in college football that people may not know of. All right, so then maybe maybe they are towards the front of one-loss teams. If, if that They should the be. Because they also have that trip out to Pasadena. Yeah, UCLA should be a little bit better this year than they have, I think, 3-9 and nine last Didn't year. Didn't put up much of a fight against Oklahoma last yeah, year. Yeah, I expect UCLA to be in the midst of, not the midst of the necessarily the Pac-12 South race, uh, but I do expect them to be challenging for a bowl game this year. And, you know, seven wins for UCLA wouldn't surprise me, but they're going to be a, a, you know, middle-of-the-road type of team. All right. So we both see uh, Oklahoma uh, with a very strong season. I've been at 11 wins. Uh, the Icon has them at 12 wins. And we both have uh, the matchup, the Big 12 championship being Oklahoma and Texas. Now, Icon, I'm going to put you on the spot here. I want you to predict what is going to happen in this hypothetical game. Who wins, Oklahoma or Texas, in December? Texas. Oh, really? All right. Texas avenges uh, one of their two losses this season to the Sooners. And Texas gets their first conference title since 2009. All right. Uh I'm going to say that uh, Oklahoma is going to get revenge for their loss to Cotton Bowl. And so we have them splitting that series. Uh, I have um, Texas winning the first matchup. You have Oklahoma winning the first matchup. And vice versa come conference championship time. Um, It's hard to beat a good team twice. That's what they say. Hard to beat a good team twice. So that that about wraps it up. Do you have any uh, other thoughts on the Big 12 season this year? Let, you want to just run down uh, our uh, our predicted finishes, our order of the conference, and sure. uh, whether they uh, are going to hit the number or not? Sure. So, Oklahoma, we both have them going over. Right. Texas, I have them going over. You have them uh, going under, correct? Under 9.5. So, I've got 10-2 for Texas. Baylor, we completely disagree on. I have them going over uh, the seven and a half number. Uh, at nine wins, you have them going under at six wins. That's correct. Iowa State at eight and four. Uh, I have a push, I believe, correct? Yes, that's right. While I have the Cyclones uh, going over eight this season. Oklahoma State, I have seven and five, which I believe is an underplay for me. Uh, that's an underplay. I am eight and four, and betting the over. Line seven and a half there for the Cowboys. Uh, K State both over at six and six. Uh, we both see the Wildcats finishing in Chris Kleiman's first year. Uh, so six and six for the Wildcats, comfortably going over the five and a half total. Yeah, and you know we kind of gave amongst ourselves, kind of gave some of our uh, experts a hard time holding their feet to the fire a little bit. 
noting that only one of our uh, Big 12 experts picked their team to go under. And you know what? We join them. We're, we're picking them going over. Slightly. Comfortably. Slightly. Comfortably, excuse me. Uh, TCU. Six and six is what I have them at. Uh, that would be under for the Frogs this year. I'm also uh, at six and six for TCU, going a game and a half under their seven and a half line. So we we agree there. Uh, Western Virginia, we move our attention to here. Four and eight for the Mountaineers uh, in their uh, first year under Neil Brown. Uh, that would be an underplay for me. Uh, I have them at four and eight also, going under five and a half. Uh, Texas Tech, the Red Raiders, out there on the plains of West Texas. Four and eight for the Red Raiders. Uh, that is also an underplay for me. See, with, just like with Baylor, we are, we see this team uh, differently. I have Texas Tech going eight and four and over six and a half. Finally, KU uh, total set at three. You have them pushing. I have a push for the Jayhawks in Les Miles' first season in Lawrence, Kansas. I have them going two and ten, zero oh and nine in Big Twelve, uh, which would result in an under. So, take from that what you will. Take from that what you will. Uh, let us know on Twitter at TSSO underscore podcast where you think either uh, D. Lou and I have nailed it, or if D. Lou nails something and you think the icon is completely off base. Which many people are already saying. Many people have said this already. Yeah. So, let us know what you have to think. I, I, I am happy beyond words that uh, the college football season is just a matter of hours away now, you know, in terms of we'll be kicking things off. Uh, well, hell, know, I mean, it already it, is. It already is underway. But week a, zero. The first full week and the week zero games were not necessarily the most cleanly played, but I had a blast they, watching. They, they didn't lack for some excitement. Yeah, I mean, that Hawaii-Arizona uh, game was a real treat. I mean, as tough as the Florida-Miami game was to watch at times, that my – that Arizona Hawaii game was thrilling, um, and you got to see some wacky stuff out there in Honolulu, which is just the best because it's like one o'clock here in Kansas City, and it's still daylight out there in, uh, on the islands. And you know, anytime you get a chance to watch a field goal kicker go out there and have to suffer through three pre-snap penalties uh, by his uh, field goal kicking unit, it's uh, a pleasure. Turning a 38-yarder into a 53-yarder in about. Mm, 45 seconds or a minute. Well, uh, football's back, folks, and, and we couldn't be more happy that it is. We'll be keeping you uh, appraised of, of everything that's going on around the conference. Uh, definitely shifting our focus now more to K-State. And, uh, Drew, it's time to make our predictions here for the first K-State game of the season. Oh, boy. With uh, with welcoming Nichols to town. Um it's a game that we see K-State winning. I don't want to speak for you, but I see him winning relatively comfortably. So do I. Okay. Do you have a prediction? Yeah, I think K-State wins this game uh, 42. Holy cow. To 14, an onslaught of offense from the Wildcats. But uh, I think K-State covers that 24.5 point line and wins this game by four touchdowns. And, and what will have Wildcats fans thinking, maybe there's something to this Chris Kleiman guy. Okay, so what was that final score again? 42-14. Okay, Cats roll. Cats roll. Roll into purple. Well, let's roll Wildcats to purple. Well, what I have to say, 
D. Lewis, I think that 24.5 line is just a bit too much. It's a little too rich for your blood, huh? little too much. I see K-State winning this game comfortably 31-10. to All right. But still a three-touchdown win for K-State. Yeah, an impressive win. I think 24.5, a little too much. But um, I, I also wouldn't be surprised. I think... You know, with a, a little bit more of a methodical style of play, uh, which K State fans really is not much of a departure from from what uh, the previous regime did offensively. I think it might be just enough, a little too tough to score uh, the points required. Should uh, should Nickel State score in that ten to seventeen point range? By the way, is it Nickel State or Nichols? I think it's Nichols is what they they go by now. Okay. So I I know them as Nickel State. So I've said both now. I think uh, throughout the podcast, but. Uh, no, I, I see a comfortable win for K-State, um, but, you know, it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, we've talked about all the teams here in the Big 12, but now it's time where the rubber meets the road, and, and uh, you know, I'm, I know we're both excited for it. Yeah, just optimism, optimism is flowing at the Short Side Option Studios, and we're ready to uh, go out there and see what the Chris Kleiman era will bring for the Wildcats. Well, folks, that will wrap it up here for our K-State preview and our set in stone, sign in blood, Big 12 predictions for the 2019 season. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to this as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you. Uh, D-Loom, is there anything else you'd like to say to our, uh, to our fine listeners before we sign off tonight? You know, Icon, there is. <clears throat> this offseason's been a long been a long time. It has. College football off. That's off- the one thing about college football is it's – the shortest, the shortest season, and the, the by ipso facto being the shortest season, longest off season. Yeah, and during that time, and especially since the end of basketball season, I feel like we haven't had a chance to address our listeners in a long time. I mean, we've had these little, really nice nuggets where we've been able to talk to some of our friends around the conference, but now we want to talk to the listeners. I love you guys. That's all that needs to be said. Yeah. That's, That's right. And, you know, I, I echo Dila's uh, sentiment. I love you guys as well. So mm-hmm. thanks for listening to the Short Side Option Podcast. We'll be back next week to uh, look ahead to K-State's game. Uh, we'll, we'll recap the Nichols game and then look ahead to Bowling Green. Uh, here is K-State. Uh, looks to get on the board with an early season win. So hey, long. I, hey, Icon. Yeah. <laughs> I thought we played the Dimes next week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, deal. And then the quarters the week after. Yeah, that's right. Well, you know, maybe. We'll we'll have uh, maybe some of our listeners might be uh, cashing in a couple nickels and dimes here. Uh, uh, maybe on so. some of our advice. So, folks, thanks again for listening to the Short Side Option. We'll be back next week uh, to get you caught up on all things as far as the world of K-State is concerned. For the Icon, Dealer. signing off on the Short Side Option.